Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day just to be alive. You, you let us breathe. Breath is from you. Everything is from you. You let our heart beat. You give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us never be taking these things for granted as they're all grace gifts from you. And Father, we ask that you help us use these faculties you've given us to concentrate this evening on your word. Your word is truth. We need to know your truth in this world so that we don't suffer from the same maladies that unbelievers do, stuck in deception in this world. Father, we ask that you open our spiritual eyes and bless all those listening right now to your word as it's spoken. And most of all, Father, we're grateful and thankful for your Son, Jesus Christ, that you sent him out of heaven to become one of us. So as one of us, he could die for all of our sins on that cross 2,000 years ago. So that whoever humbles himself before you and trusts in Christ as Lord and Savior will be saved. According to your word, according to your grace and truth. Father, please bless this message. Have your spirit guide us and teach us. Help us understand. We ask these things in Christ's precious name. By the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen. Again, what is repentance and who gets to define it? Part 14. So on Sunday, uh, really Thursday and Sunday, the spirit kind of netted something out for us uh, from our recent studies, uh, namely this point on the board regarding false profession of faith. And the Bible speaks a lot about this thing, false professors. We must accept the plain truth that God the Holy Spirit inspired many accounts of false profession in the Bible for a reason. So as we start tonight, just dwell on that principle there's a reason the Holy Spirit gave us all these examples and all these warnings and such about false profession. Now, you may not understand all the reasons or even think it's that important in your opinion, but your opinion doesn't matter, of course. Depends what the Word says. And the Spirit is saying, be aware of this. And there are probably several reasons that He alerts us to this and uh, things that He wants us to think about. But just for now, accept the point on the board that there's a reason. There are so, so many accounts in the Bible about false profession. One reason, I believe, is that we stand guard at our posts as believers. Uh, the Bible calls us soldiers for Christ. And a good soldier stands his post. Wherever that is, wherever you're assigned, whatever duty it be, whether it's in the kitchen or on the battlefield, whatever your post is, Stand it and be alert. Part of our job as witnesses for Christ. We aren't to fall for deception or lies about our Lord, even though they might be very subtle at times. We aren't to be naive and think that everyone who uses the name of Jesus is talking about the Jesus that's talked about in the Scriptures. Because I've heard a lot of people, I don't know about you, use, use His name 
And when you have a little further conversation, they have no idea who he really is. They have no idea that he's claimed to be God. It's an amazing thing. People like to make him their own to their convenience, the way they want him to be. But that's a shame and that's a deception. And we have to be on guard for things like that. So the Bible tells us there are many false professors in this world. And one of the great things we see in the Gospels and the book of Acts is that our Lord likes to teach us his doctrines by having us apply them to real life. He, he, he calls us to do that thing. You know, and he calls us to say, if you believe this, then, then do this. If you believe what I'm telling you, treat people this way. You know, for example, love is an activity. It's actually an action, a verb. So this is a trend we see in the Lord's teachings and even throughout the book of Acts as we've just recently studied. And there can be greater learning by doing. Greater learning by doing, by stepping out and walking by faith in his commands. Uh, some of you have seen that in your own lives in, in living, living out the Great Commission a little more and what you think God's called you to do. Uh, to spread his word as he commands us to. And you stepped out by faith in a certain area and you learned a lot, if you're honest, about yourself and about others and about what's possible and how with God all things are possible. You learned it's not about you maybe. So we have to step out by faith and that is a way that we learn tremendously. And the Lord can then use us. How much more for his glory? But as we've been talking about, false professors, they don't have the ability to apply godly principles in their own lives. They don't have the ability to step out and walk by faith. All right? They might be faking it to a certain degree for, for maybe the wrong reasons, but they don't have the ability. And unconverted people, people that have not surrendered to Christ honestly as their Lord and Savior, they remain in their sins, and they seek their own glory. And that's kind of a, a key theme for tonight, as you'll see in a few passages. Unbelievers, even though they might even use the name of Jesus, they seek their own glory, despite religious activities, maybe to check off a box in their lives, to feel better about themselves, or to, to cover something in front of other people. And religious people don't realize that they've been deceived by the devil himself. This came out on Sunday also. Religious people don't realize they've been deceived by the devil himself. The devil's not in hell right now. He's still loose until the end, until the final judgment. The Bible calls him the God of this world and the prince of the power of the air. So he's active. He's loose. He deceives people. As we heard on Sunday, he's not coming at you in some ugly outfit trying to scare you, but he's coming at you in a beautiful, smooth way, in a way that if he walked through these doors, you'd be following him, most likely. More, much more impressive than any person you've ever seen or listened to. So we got to be aware of that. He's in the world. He's still actively deceiving people. And there are religious people following religions, going to church, where their heart is not with God. Their heart is with themselves, and they've been deceived by Satan into thinking they're doing the right thing or they're on the right path. 
So be on guard for that. Be aware. The devil likes to promote self-righteousness and self-justification. Just like he tried to justify himself before God. So he, he, he teases others or he whispers in others' ears, you're good enough. You can do it on your own. You're okay with doing that. Even though the Bible says this, what about this scripture? If you use that one, you can continue to do what you want to do. That's what Satan does. That's what he whispers in our ears, using scripture to justify ourselves, to help us, help us along. And that's why we have to humbly go to the word of God every day for guidance, or we will be deceived eventually. It's either you learn the things of the world, and even if you say you're not listening, you're listening, you're being bombarded every day, or you listen to the word of God so that you have ammunition, you have God's wisdom to combat the lies. If you don't have God's wisdom to combat the lies, you're going to be sucked right in like a vacuum. Really. Go to, I like that one, DJ. Go to Proverbs 26, 22. I didn't mean like a vacuum cleaner. I meant, you know, the effect of a vacuum. Okay, all right. Let's check in. <laughs> Proverbs 26, 22. The devil likes to whisper to people. And to get them caught up in religion, of all things. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels, and they go down into the innermost parts of the body. Like an earthen vessel overlaid with silver dross are burning lips and a wicked heart. He who hates disguises it with his lips, but he lays up deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, do not believe him for there are seven abominations in his heart. This is possible in people that become religious and even look the part. And the Bible says that mankind is very good at pretending and hiding. We all probably know that in our own ways. We all do that to some degree, even as believers at times, because our flesh haunts us at times, as in Romans chapter 7. So this isn't saying that, you know, we're beyond this. But what we are going to talk about a lot tonight is lifestyle. And on the board, the person who refuses to surrender to Jesus as his Lord and Savior has no other choice than to live a lifestyle of hiding and pretending in a fleshly attempt to appease both man and God. You see, without the Lord taking over your life or, you know, indwelling you, which literally the Bible says he lives inside of you, if you trust in him as your Lord and your Savior, without him in you, you have no other alternative but to hide and pretend and to try to fake your way and try to act religious, to appease whoever you're trying to appease. Usually it's both man and God in some way. When people refused to turn to Jesus as the way and they kept pretending and falsely professing faith, Jesus did not accept it. He called them out, actually, when he was on this earth so that hopefully they get out of their deception. The point for us is that false profession exists within the churches. And there are people out there, even people in our own personal lives. I know I can say that for me. I had people in my own personal life, family members, friends, that use Jesus' name, 
but it's another Jesus, or they use it for the wrong reasons, maybe to get their own way in a certain part of life. They have no idea what the Word of God says, and they still use His name and think they're in the right when they're claiming another person, not the Jesus of the Bible. On the board, we, we saw this on Sunday regarding false professors. Today's so-called Christian churches are riddled with spiritually impotent people pretending to spread the good news about Jesus, yet all they are equipped to do is bring glory to themselves, their church buildings, etc. And that point on the board might seem harsh, but the Bible says this exists in the churches. This actually takes place in some people's hearts in the churches. And of course, that's the important thing. What's going on in somebody's heart? Someone could be attending church and act religious, and they look like a believer. The important thing is what's going on in the heart. That's what God looks at, as we know. So while this is true to some degree, the point on the board, this is when Pastor gave us a balance statement on Sunday. He said, what I am not ever supposing is that I know exactly who I'm speaking to when I speak of false professors. The Bible tells me they exist often in droves. So we may not know exactly who they are, but they exist and they're in churches. Matthew 7.23, Matthew 25.31-41, 1 John 2.19, and 2 John 1.7. So go to Matthew 7, verse 21. And I just want to remind you of something here in context. We may not know exactly who is a false professor, but they do exist. And what we're going to see in some of these scriptures is some of the signs, you know, that we can watch out for, but it still doesn't give us the right to judge, and we honestly don't 100% know. Matthew seven twenty one through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. So in other words, no pretenders allowed. People who use Jesus' name but don't do the will of the Father are pretenders. So says Jesus right here. They did not surrender to him as Lord and Savior if they're totally living for themselves. Verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So we see some signs here to take note of on the board. First of all, let's take note. There is unrighteousness in the lives of false professors. We all sin even after salvation. But false professors have a way of life that's unrighteous and a lifestyle of not doing the Father's will. The, these are the descriptors we just read in verses 21 through 23. This is a common characteristic, we might say. 
seen in many passages on false profession. As in Matthew 7, these people were using the name of the Lord, but the Lord stated they never knew him, and the evidence of that was practicing lawlessness. Practicing lawlessness. That's lifestyle, folks. That's being encompassed by something. You know what I mean? Taken over by something. It is the way. It is your way of living. So, again, what do we do with this? What do we do with this type of description? None of us knows the heart of another person. None of us has the ability to know exactly who is stuck in false profession and who is actually saved. What do we do? How about we talk about the gospel? To anybody and everybody when we have the opportunity. And I'm not talking about forcing it and, you know, um, being overbearing on people. I'm talking about look for opportunities, look for open doors, especially if you think someone might be a false professor, or let's say they might fit into this category in Matthew 7, practicing lawlessness, even though they use Jesus' name. You might just want to talk about the gospel with them and repentance and faith and what, what you've been learning. Um, the thing that the Spirit's put on my heart is don't take for granted, don't suppose that people are saved just because they go to church or they use Jesus' name. That would be a fatal mistake. So talk about the gospel. Don't judge. Bring, bring up the gospel if you're given the opportunity. Pray for opportunities. How about that? With someone that you're worried about. And watch God give you something right in your face that you can't deny it's from him. And so you talk about the gospel. We again see lifestyle as a telltale sign of saving faith or lack thereof in Matthew 25, 31. So go to Matthew 25, 31. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. I was just reading this before class, and I was thinking to myself, you know, sheep and goats, they're pretty much related. You know, they look, look similar, is what I'm saying. So you could have sheep and goats in the same church. You may not tell the difference, that obviously. But, you know, we go on and that's going to come up later. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or come, and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it, to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. 
Then he will say to those on his left, these are the goats, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will themselves, then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. So there's a characteristic of the goats. You did not do it. And when you didn't do it to one, at least to my brethren, you didn't do it to me myself. So there's a characteristic again, a sign, if you will. On the board, one's lifestyle reflects what's in the heart. It's not that anyone is saved by their deeds, but that their deeds are a sign of what's in the heart of one who has humbly surrendered to Jesus as Lord or not. This is like the pattern throughout all the Word of God. This is what believers look like and unbelievers look like. Believers do these things. Unbelievers don't do these things. It's so simple. So your job is not to say, ooh, I better do these things. Your job is to examine your heart and say, okay, am I... uh, good with God here? Have I surrendered to the Lord? Have I admitted my sin to him? And, you know, am I willing to turn to him? And then that person is changed as we've been studying. And that person does these things because he now has the love of God in him even, at least to some degree. So again, on the board, one's lifestyle reflects what's in the heart. It's not that anyone is saved by their deeds. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ. It's not that anyone is saved by their deeds, but that their deeds are a sign of what's in the heart, of one who has humbly surrendered to Jesus as Lord or not. So again, the fact is the Bible says there are a number of false professors out there. Go to 2 John verse 7. 2 John verse 7. There's only one chapter, so... Pretty easy to find, although it's on one page, so that makes it tough, huh? 2 John 7. Again, the Bible says there are many false professors out there, people that profess to believe in Christ as their Lord and Savior, but maybe believe in another Jesus. For many deceivers, many deceivers have gone out into the world those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. So what characteristic do we see here of false profession? Not acknowledging Jesus as coming in the flesh. All right? That implies some deity there. In other words, he wasn't here before and he wasn't in the flesh before. So he came from heaven. and You have to believe that. He's not just a man or a prophet, for example. They may even use Jesus' name, but for example, they refuse to give him glory as who he is, God in the flesh, which we also know one title for him is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
That's Jesus Christ. That's who he really is. Another characteristic is that false believers won't stick around for the long term. They won't be persistent in the faith, but will leave the faith altogether at some point. This is one other possible characteristic of what an unbeliever looks like, of what a false professor looks like. Go to 1 John 2.19. 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, the Apostle John says. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are, not, they are all not of us. Notice that last part, so that it would be shown that they are all are not of us. And more characteristics of false Profession is seen in 1 John chapter 4. Go to 1 John 4, verse 1. 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. So there's a, a, a warning to be on the alert, right? Stand your post as a soldier of Christ. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world." You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And then we see the great litmus test of a believer in verse 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. At this point on Sunday, the Spirit made us think or reflect on something. Okay, We're talking about false professors, false profession, um, deceivers, etc., and the idea came up, how many of these deceivers, let's call them, are actually deceived themselves? In other words, do they consciously know what they're doing? Are they actively, consciously, purposely deceiving others? Or do they think they're in the right and they're just blinded? I would say that's probably more common amongst the de deceivers. For example, think of Saul of Tarsus when he was persecuting Christians before he was converted. Do you think he thought he was doing the right thing before God? We know that, right? Because he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he had the right way. And that's why, that's why he was so um, harsh against Christians. He's like, I'm doing this for God. There are people in this world right now that claim they're doing certain things for God that are evil. They're convinced they're doing the right thing for God. What are they? Deceived. 
right? There's a veil over their face. They can't see straight. And ultimately, it's arrogance making people blind, and ultimately, it's the devil deceiving them to do horrible things in the name of God. So do you think they're purposely deceiving, or are they themselves under deception? It's something to think about and pray about, because there's no sadder situation when someone thinks they're right and they're wrong, right? How great is your darkness when you think you're in the light? Only God can open people's eyes like that. So a deceived person very often thinks they're in the right, and that's what makes it deception. And that's why a deceiver can seem very sincere, because they are being sincere. They really think they're doing the right thing on the board. So for us, we are to be on the alert. Just because someone is truly passionate about what they believe doesn't make it right. Now, you might say, I already know that. But it's really easy to buy into what someone's selling you or telling you when they're passionate and sincere about it. It's really easy to give them a little bit more of your ear, isn't it? I mean, when, when they, they seem sincere and honest, of course. Even when they, what they're saying, you might disagree with, but you're like, but look, they're so sincere. And that's why we have to measure everything we hear by the truth of the word. So that we discern what we just read in uh, 1 John 4, what is it, 6? By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Because it's going to sound good. And people can be very convincing. So be on the alert. So the fact is, according to Holy Scripture, it's commonly stated that there are wolves among the sheep disguising themselves in sheep's clothing. You ever see that horrible commercial that's out now about the guy with the, I think he's got a cell phone in his hand, but he's wearing a sheep costume and he's standing in the field and he says, I'm real, I don't know, he says some stupid things. But anyway, it's a guy dressed in a sheep outfit, right? Supposedly, I look at that as a wolf in sheep, sheep's clothing. But um, <laughs> I don't even know why I brought that up. Uh, but people disguise themselves and they try to fit in, Okay even unknowingly at times, because they themselves are deceived, but they're not surrendered to Christ. Oh, boy. All right, anyway, go to Matthew 13, 24. Matthew 13, 24. So, we, so while we never know exactly who might be uh, a true believer and who is a pretender, so to speak, We leave that to the Lord to make any final calls like that, and he does that at the final judgment. Matthew 13, 24. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares, those are like weeds, the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, 
First gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up. Then gather the wheat into my barn. So we can certainly warn like the Lord did about false profession. And we can continue to preach the gospel so that some are saved. Even some that might be in our midst among us, whether in church or in our families or whatever. Hopefully, you know, people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ with our help. But just be aware as you go out preaching the gospel that there's also going to be kickback from religious people. This came out on Sunday on the board. I'll put it on the board for you. The practical reality is that self-righteous people do not like to be outed by the truth. In fact, that's when they even get violent or aggressive against you. This is what, these are the people that attack Jesus Christ and attack the apostles. Because the apostles, and even like John the Baptist, calling the Pharisees vipers. That's not, you know, a self-righteous, arrogant person is not going to just take that. Because they're arrogant. They're not going to take correction well. So to defend their position, and maybe even defend what they own, and their lives, they're going to react, possibly violently. So just be ready for that, that, that people are going to uh, not just always take your words of advice. People don't want to admit that they've been wrong or that they're not good enough either. They think they're good enough. You're telling them they're not. They're a sinner. You need Christ. And then some people are going to be like, eh, who do you think you are? And might even attack you in some ways. Self-esteem depends on these things, this self-righteousness that people hold on to. Their self-esteem depends on that. So you're trying to break down their life. You're trying to break down their confidence, you know, when you give somebody the good news even because you're telling them they're not good enough on their own. So you're going to get some reaction. That's one reason the Lord said people must deny self to follow him until people are willing to turn from relying on self for their esteem and for their confidence in life, they're not going to turn to Christ for their esteem and their confidence and their salvation. They don't know it yet. They may be deceived. They may have the blinders on. Be like, I'm, I'm, I'm good enough. What are you talking about? Look at me. I'm better than most. Right? I, don't, I haven't murdered anybody. That's, that's my favorite one. When Jesus said, if you think something, you've done it. You're guilty in God's eyes. But self-esteem is the reason people are going to react because you're, you're chipping at it. You know They're trying to fit in in this world. So the reality is, unfortunately, on the board, many would rather remain a false professor living in self-deception because they don't want to lose their lives and what they built up. That's why it's so hard for the rich man to get into heaven. He's built up so much stuff that he can't see turning from it. That's why it's so difficult. They don't want to lose their lives and what they built up, even though it's built on sand, as the Lord would say. As came out on Sunday, arrogance willingly turns a blind eye to the truth and continues to look for loopholes in order to justify who? 
self. Just let me find Scripture in the Word of God so I can justify what I'm doing right now and keep my own life the way I want it. And you can find Scripture to say anything that you really want to if you want to take it out of context. Go again to Luke 11.45. And we saw this example on Sunday with the lawyers. Nobody finds loopholes better than smart lawyers. But this is where being smart can be a handicap. It can be a curse without humility. One of the lawyers said to him, I'm sorry, Luke 11:45. One of the lawyers said to him in reply, "Teacher, when you say this, you insult us too." <laughs> but he said, "Woe to you lawyers as well, for you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear." while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. The Lord's like, look at your fruit. You think you're righteous, but look in the mirror. Do you see the people that you're hurting, that you're putting under bondage? And the Lord's trying to wake them up by directly speaking to them, in a harsh way even. Arrogance wants to sustain its own little kingdom at any cost even at the cost of losing one's own life in the end. Think about that. You can tell someone that there is a heaven and there is a hell, that there is a day of judgment fixed for, for all man. And because they want to lo- don't want to lose their life, they won't listen to you. Even though it might be true, they don't, they'd rather ignore it. I don't really want to look into it. Things are going well for me right now. I'm self-sufficient. Look what I built. Even at the cost of losing their own life, Possibly, all right? They stay in their arrogance. They choose to. On the board, regarding lawyering up, was the lawyer in in Luke 11.45 concerned about his life insulting God? Or was he concerned about the life of God insulting him? Amazing that this question even has to be asked. Any man (laughs) with any humility should be concerned about his own life possibly insulting God, his creator. But the lawyer was the other way around. And remember, among the religious leaders of the day, back back then in the day, 2,000 years ago, these lawyers were respected and looked up to even as being spiritual. There was a theocracy going on. So they were involved. The lawyers were part of the law, which is part of the spiritual as well. That was the government. And they were well-respected, like the Pharisees. They would speak all the right things to do, but do the opposite for selfish gain. They said they believed God, but they refused to surrender. And they hurt other people in the process. So that's what we might call the soil of religion. And I don't mean a good soil. Go to Luke 20, verse 45. We're going to go back to Luke 11 in a minute, but Luke 20, verse 45. And while all the people were listening, Jesus said to the disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief priests in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets, who devour widows' houses and for appearance's sake offer long prayers. 
these will receive greater condemnation. So these religious people walking around, that if you saw them, you would think they're in with God because of their clothing or their positions or whatever, even their public long prayers to look spiritual. And what do they do? Devour widows' houses. Is there anything worse than devouring a widow's house? Someone who's already poor and lost their spouse? Is there anything worse than that? But that's what they were doing. They were saying all the right things. Do this. This is what the law says. This is what the Bible says. And doing whatever would advance themselves. So why was Jesus so harsh with these people? Jesus despises selfishness. It's like the opposite of, you know, believing in Christ. Jesus despises selfishness. Go back to Luke 11.52, and look what he said to the lawyers. Luke 11.52. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves did not enter, and you hindered those who were entering. Woe to you on the board, all because of selfishness, all because of self. The lawyers had frustrated others' access to the truth. This came out on Sunday. Although they outwardly professed loyalty to the word, inwardly they refused the one of whom the Holy Scriptures spoke. This is unbelievable, really. The Pharisees knew the word of God and the law and everything inside and out. They used it for their own personal gain instead of submitting to the Lord. They were truly deceived because they thought they were in the right, I guess. But the scriptures speak of a person who's going to come save you from your sin. You can't save yourself. So if we go to John chapter 5, we see what the hearts of the false professors looked like. Go to John 5. And we'll start in verse 37. A lot of scripture tonight, but just sit back and listen and, you know, see what the Spirit's pointing out. There's a lot of passages about this false profession thing. Again, on the board, the lawyers had frustrated others' access to the truth. Although they outwardly professed loyalty to the word, Inwardly, they refused the one of whom the Holy Scriptures spoke. So John 5, 37. And the Father who sent me, this is Jesus speaking, the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, says Jesus. You search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. It's the person. Only I can save you. The one the scriptures are telling you about. But in verse 40, you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have eternal life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know but, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. 
If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only, only God? See, it comes back to glory again. We started with this in the beginning. Self-righteous person wants the glory to themselves. Some kind of credit in this situation for being a good person or whatever. And that's the, the battle in the soul, if you will. You're going to keep seeking glory for self or are you willing to give the glory to God and turn from self? Verse 44 again. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do you think that I will accuse you before, or do not think, I'm sorry, do not think that I will accuse you before the Father? The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? They used his writings for their own advantage, but apparently they didn't even believe his writings. Heart issues. So these people wanted to follow religion for selfish gain. They used it for their own glory. To find eternal life for themselves. This is another thing the Spirit's been giving us repeatedly. On the board, also seen in this passage in John 5, 37 through 47, these people were truly looking for a way to heaven on their own terms on their own terms, to justify themselves, but unwilling to surrender to the Lord as the only way of salvation. Glory be to me. Lord, thank God I'm not like those swindlers and tax collectors. Remember that Pharisee? But the one that was justified, who, the one that was justified in God's eyes said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Man has a big problem. Our flesh wants to grab glory and take credit. And that can be in the way of someone's salvation. So again, on the board, these people were truly looking for a way to heaven on their own terms to justify themselves. But they were unwilling to surrender to the Lord as the only way to salvation. And that's what must be done if someone's honestly going to be saved. Jesus was so tired of this arrogance in religious people. Think about it. He's coming to earth to save these people from their sins, and yet they refused to acknowledge they had sin that needed forgiveness. They thought they earned their way. Can you imagine how frustrating it was for the Lord? It's frustrating to us, and we're fellow sinners, right? Talking to unbelievers? Imagine being the Lord who was perfect in all of his ways and had all knowledge and wisdom. And he's dealing with these people that basically are, you know, putting it back in his face. We don't need you. Look at us. Go to Matthew eleven eighteen. Matthew eleven eighteen. Arrogance blinds. Matthew eleven eighteen. Jesus said, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. 
the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. There again we see that wisdom does things in the kingdom of God. Then he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. So there were unbelievers in these cities that were stubborn and unrepentant and arrogant. They refused to repent. And they saw so many miracles. But then on the opposite side of the spectrum, Jesus was grateful for the humble. Look at verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Then Jesus says, Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you see the simplicity of surrender? Versus the people he was frustrated with in in verses 18 and 19 and 20, they didn't repent. So you can have arrogant unrepentance, or you can just listen to the king of kings who says, just come to me. Stop with all the self-righteous attempts and holding on to your own glory. Surrender. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm the only way. Stop looking for a way on your own through loopholes of religion, using scripture to your own advantage. So you can keep your life just the way you want it. That way is going to end in death. Like, stop. Come to me. Here's a point we've seen in the last two lessons, but it's worth repeating because of the stark contrast between human attempts at salvation and the divine. The burden of life. The yoke of arrogance is impossible depressing its wearers. That's self trying to earn its way with God. Contrarily, Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. With God's power, all things are possible. Without it, nothing that brings glory to him is possible. And we've seen a lot of these scriptures too here. We've got a few minutes left, so let's go to uh, Matthew 23, verse 1. Matthew 23, 1. This is another thing that the false professors look like. Uh, More characteristics, you might say. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you Do and observe. Why? They're telling them what Moses said. That's good. The law is good, right? All that they tell you, do and observe. 
but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with such as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels on their garments. They love the place of honor at the banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. In other words, they do things, all right, but they do things for self, for self-glory. Verse 8, but do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, Jesus says, and you're all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself is going to be humbled. Whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? Someone that says one thing but does another. We just read that. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. This is serious stuff because these people are misleading other people. So we'll close with a verse and a warning from our Lord in Matthew 18, verse 1. Go to Matthew 18, verse 1. This is like why there's greater judgment, greater condemnation, even in the eternal state for people that lead others astray. Matthew 18, 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of, of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. So, as we close, the life of the believer stands in stark contrast to the religious person who refuses to get out of the way and surrender to the Lord and even leads people astray. Let's close looking at what the life of the believer looks like in 1 John 5, verse 1. 1 John 5, verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God.
Amen? All right, let's close. Father, we thank you so much for all the scripture you give us. Your word that is so precious and enlightens us both on what to look out for and watch out for and also in what to aspire to and what to imitate. We're thankful, Father, for your word and your spirit guiding us and helping us understand your word. Father, we ask that you help us humbly go on and walk by faith. Help us do things. Help us obey your commands and do the will of the Father. Not out of any compelling, but out of love for you. Out of gratitude for you saving us by grace through faith in your precious Son. Father, we ask that you give us all traveling mercies as we leave. And also, Father, please bless all those that are sick, that are members of our congregation that are struggling. Give them the faith to go on and march on and show them your hand in their lives. We ask all these things in Christ's precious name. By the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen.